the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. We will look at the crisis on our southern border. When Joe Biden became president, the door opened, uh, and they know that it's going to open further. Sam bankman fried of FTX is arrested on the eve of his testimony before Congress. When you deal with the government, you can never discount the possibility that uh, incompetence is the explanation. We'll look at the Twitter files and the lessons we should be learning. Combining government with, with private industry to strip Americans of their rights is a form of fascism. And we'll look at a tale of two states, Florida under Governor DeSantis. 400,000 people moved to Florida the last few years. Are you aware of that? In California under Governor Newsom. There's a big gap between saying he's going to do something and, and the actual implementation. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my radio program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Hugh Hewitt, the new Twitter. It's working. And follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. We'll start with a look at the ongoing crisis at our southern border, where the flood of immigrants is slated to get even more severe next week as Title 42 is scheduled to end next week. The health authority provision, which began under President Trump, gave border authorities greater latitude in turning back the flood of migrants. It's a crisis that's going from bad to much worse. I spoke to Byron York of the Washington Examiner. 53,000 illegal immigrants entered one city, El Paso, in October. That's such an astonishing number. How do you react to that number? How do you think Congress is going to react, if all, if at all? Well, I'm glad the New York Times actually reported it. Things are getting worse on the border now. It's one of these situations where, you know, as the months have gone by, you think, well, it can't get any worse. But it does get worse. And now it's getting worse, um, apparently in anticipation of the end of Title 42, and then it'll really get worse. You know, Fox News, especially Bill Malugin at the border, has been reporting this uh, for months and months and months in, in great detail and really giving you an idea of how bad the situation is. And there was a moment where Dana Perino said, you know, if you're not watching Fox, you don't even know this is happening. Um, and so it's good to see um, the New York Times actually uh, notice that. Now, to get to your question, there's a lot of things for a new Republican majority in the House to investigate. But is there any topic more urgent than the, the disastrous Biden policy on the border uh, for the, for the uh, new House majority to investigate and to try to fix? I don't think so. 53,000 people works out to, what, 600,000 people in El Paso alone next year? Yeah. yeah. Recently, the Heritage Foundation did a study where what they did was they, they used geofencing, uh, publicly available information, uh, to look at what cell phones, without names, what cell phones were in certain locations along the border. And they picked a number of uh, NGO offices. And then they traced where those cell phones went. Did they stay in, the, in that area? Were they people who lived there and just stayed there? 
know. They went all over the country. As a matter of fact, they said uh, the, uh, the, the cell phones, they measured it by congressional district, the cell phones ended up in 434 out of 435 congressional districts uh, in the country. They traveled all over the country. Wow. That is, they were being resettled all over the country, and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. You know, Byron, the only time I see follow-up stories, after the Martha's Vineyard and the vice president's house stunt, and I said, that's okay once. It, it borders on cruelty. Don't do it again. But they illustrated that the, the wealthy in America are insulated from this problem. They just are. And this problem is not that people want to come to America. We are a nation of immigrants. My family got here in 1878, and I'm glad they did. But what? Where do they go? How do they adapt? Where? There is no follow-up reporting. You know what happened to the fifty people who went to Martha's Vineyard? They had one sued Ron DeSantis, and you know that was a one-day story. It was a DeSantis story. It wasn't actually a human story. Do we get any sense of? It, it's millions and millions of people. What are they doing? Well, they're they're being first of all, most illegal border crossers uh, who who come to the, into the United States are allowed to stay by the Biden administration. That's why they're coming. Yes. They follow the news. They understand this. This is not some blind rush to the border. They know that something changed on January 20th, 2021, when Joe Biden became president. The door opened. Uh, and they know that it's going to open further when Title 42 goes away. And uh, U.S. officials uh, have one less reason, one less tool to be able to uh, turn them back from the U.S. border. Um, and so they, they know this. They, they know this has changed. Now, we are a nation of immigrants, but we're a nation of immigration laws, too. We've had immigration laws for, what, a century and a half? I mean, there were, obviously there was a period in the early American Republic where there were no immigration laws. You just came. You just came. But yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And by the way, we still, the United States, still grants about one million new green cards every year. It's not as if uh, immigrants are not coming into the United States through legal processes and going through legal processes and being granted uh, permanent legal status, which is what a green card is, makes you eligible to be a citizen after a period of time. Um, that's, that's happening. This is all on top of that. This is this uh, illegal uh, uncontrolled process. And I think anyone would agree that even if you believe that the United States needs to, even if you believe it needs to increase the number of immigrants brought to, into the United States, there is a number. I mean, there, there's a limit to what you want. And there's certainly you have to have a process. As President Obama said, we're a nation state. You have to have a border. And we don't. If there is a way forward, I think it has to begin with a border barrier. And I'm asking, not telling you, what do you think is the first step to a regularization? What's the next step? Well, I think you have to have two, enforcement is really two things. It's one, uh, a barrier to slow. It, it, you won't stop it entirely, but to slow Correct. dramatically the flow of illegal crossers in the United States. And the other is to enforce uh, against people who are here uh, illegally. Now, a large number of that group that you mentioned, people who are in the United States illegally, came legally uh, with a visa. The visa expired and they stayed. Also this week, Sam Bankman-Fried was scheduled to testify before Congress on the collapse of FTX. 
the crypto exchange platform that he'd founded. And on the eve before that testimony, he was arrested. Andrew McCarthy explains for us in his conversation with Joe Piscopo on AM 970, The Answer in New York City. Samuel Bankman-Fried. So they, 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 they uh, saw him be taken away in handcuffs. Why the Southern District of New York, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, jumped in awfully quick. Why did they jump in that quick to shut this guy down when he was about to testify in Congress? That's a red flag to me. Yeah. Is, is that to you, Andrew McCarthy? Yeah, I, I don't have a problem, Joe, with their moving quickly to build the case. Yeah. But for the life of me, uh, you know, I, I was a prosecutor for 20 years, but you would need to be a prosecutor for about 20 minutes to know that you could only help your case by having a guy under oath for four hours answering hostile <laughs> questions in Congress before you put handcuffs on him. I mean, I just like you can't even. So you can, as, I, as I've said to people, you know, you can never when you're dealing with the government, you can never discount the possibility that uh, incompetence is the explanation. <laughs> but um, I, I know, you know, the Justice Department has a, a lot of very sharp lawyers um, and. This would have had to go through a lot of rungs of um, of incompetence to come out that way. So the only thing I can – if you're going to have a rational reason for why they did this, the only thing I can come up with is Bankman-Fried is accused of stealing a lot of customer money, millions and millions of dollars, yeah, yeah. that was then poured into the accounts of politicians and political donations. And $40 million of it reportedly went to Democrats just in the last cycle, which made him like the second – only after Soros, the second highest contributor to Democrats. So I have a feeling, call, call me cynical, if you will, yeah, but yeah. Um, I have a feeling that the Democrats who run the committee were not uh, too enthusiastic about having Republicans point that out for four hours, and that probably the Democrats who run the Justice Department um, may have accommodated the Democrats who run the committee. Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter is shaping up to be more consequential and more revealing than anticipated including yours truly. I found myself shocked at what we've seen with the release of the Twitter file. Ed Morrissey of Hot Air was a guest of Chris DeGaulle on AM 990, The Answer, in Philadelphia. Do you believe in your assessment of all that we know now, um, Twitter drives, has driven, informs much of what most media was saying and reporting generally almost every day? I mean, you know, not, not at Hot Air, but I'm saying like mainstream media outlets, Twitter became this kind of um, hub the fulcrum of, of a news day. And if, if it was true on Twitter, then everyone would rep report it. And if Twitter shut it down or it was disabused by Twitter, then everybody would stop. And by everybody, again, I mean mainstream. It, it had that right. kind of influence and power. I, just, I, I think people that don't use it, and that's millions of people, by the way. Maybe most Americans don't use it. But they, I think everyone should understand why it's important, is my point. Yeah, it's important because you've got a lot of people on there who are reporting the news, who are trying to drive the narratives. And uh, if, if Twitter has its thumb on the scale of that, yeah, I mean, these are people who are influential people. They're people who run your, um, your television stations. They run your newspapers. They run your, um, your, your cable channels. They're paying attention to what happens on Twitter. And when you suppress viewpoints on Twitter for, um, for the sake of the viewpoint, then you're missing a big part of that picture. And... If you're not allowing people to challenge some of these narratives, then in large part, it becomes a, uh, a sort of a, a accepted wisdom. The narratives become accepted wisdom, even if they're entirely wrong. And COVID, I think, is another one of these examples where you had 
you know, oh, the masks work. Well, no, the masks don't work. Oh, well, the masks work under these circumstances. We need to shut down the schools. No, we don't need to shut down the schools. Oh, well, we can't have people saying you, you, you don't need to shut down the schools. So we're going to make sure that nobody's saying that so that we, uh, we need to shut down the schools is the uh, dominant narrative. Uh, you know, these are, these are sort of general examples, but that's the type of thing that was going on there in an area that is very influential. And that is, even if it wasn't influential, this is a speech issue. This is a, a First Amendment issue. And to have the government, in, uh, you know, it, it have its fingers into a private, um, a private platform to, contr- to, uh, to control speech, mm-hmm. can actually get this out of my mouth, um, <laughs> is, is not just a First Amendment problem, but it's also a, a form of fascism, combining government with, with private industry to strip Americans of their rights is a form of fascism. It's a fact it's almost definitional fascism. It may be just a lighter version of it, but it's, a, it's definitional fascism when government combines with private industry uh, to, uh, to, control, um, uh, to control speech. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. This is a, a very big deal. Coming up. For the first time in, what, 50 years, Florida has more registered Republicans than Democrats. We'll look at both California and Florida when the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. We're going to take a quick look at two states in our nation, two of the most populous states, Florida and California, that are very different laboratories of democracy. In Florida, Ron DeSantis just won re-election with 59.4% of the vote, almost 20% over his opponent, Charlie Crist. Just brief context, in 2018, DeSantis beat Andrew Gillum by 0.4%. Yes, four-tenths of 1% to almost 20%. Here's Dennis Prager. I am about to report a major development, I believe. It's from the Florida Standard. Will Witt's great creation in Florida. DeSantis announces Florida grand jury investigation to hold vaccine manufacturers accountable. I, I must say that DeSantis is almost too good to be true. In his calm way... He is a tornado. He is exposing over and over and fighting the left. And he won by 19 points. What have I said all of my life? Republicans make a terrible error in running against their opponent. They need to run against the left and the Democratic Party, which is now a left wing, not a liberal party. That's what DeSantis is doing. He won by 19 points in a state that was, until very recently, considered purple. For the first time in, what, 50 years? I don't know how many years it is. Florida has, uh, am I correct, that has more registered Republicans than Democrats. 400,000 people moved to Florida in the last few years. Are you aware of that? 400,000. How many people live in Wyoming? 
too many more than that. Yeah. Uh, it'd be an interesting thing to, to uh, note. DeSantis announces Florida grand jury investigation to hold vaccine manufacturers accountable. The grand jury will investigate the potentially dangerous and deadly side effects the mRNA injections have had on Floridians. Wow. 578,000. 578,000. So, Almost. given the movement to Florida within about a year or two, the state of Wyoming will have moved to Florida. The equivalent. Today, Governor Ron DeSantis announced that the state of Florida is impaneling a grand jury to review evidence to hold COVID-19 vaccine manufacturers accountable under Florida law. Today, I'm announcing a petition with the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to the COVID-19 vaccines. We anticipate that we will get approval for that, Governor DeSantis stated at a roundtable conference with medical professionals and vaccine-injured citizens. Do you know how many times I, I'm now reading about unbelievably healthy people like athletes who are just dropping dead for no reason? There are, there are attempts to quantify this number and to give names to these people. Of course, it's never reported that way. Sudden death of their beloved brother, sister, and n- never cited, well, they had just gotten another booster. I'm not saying that it was definitely the cause. But if you actually care about humans, you would want to know if that was a cause. Following the announcement, the governor and surgeon general, Joseph Ladapo, is another great man, held a special live roundtable event with leading healthcare practitioners and scientists. The roundtable also included very emotional testimony from vaccine-injured men and women. And then we have California, where for the first time in history, the state lost a congressional seat due to population decline. And Governor Newsom is proposing reparations of 233000 for each descendant of an enslaved person. I turn to Pete Peterson of Pepperdine's Graduate School of Public Policy. I read that Gavin Newsom wants to do reparations. I can't believe it, but some people tell me it's real. Is it real? Well, I think everything <clears throat> that the governor does these days needs to be seen through the lens of how would this play on a national stage or at least with a progressive base as he thinks about a presidential run. He did come out recently and say that he had spoken with the president and that he's He's not looking to challenge, but of course, missing from that is whether whether President Biden is even going to run for re-election again. So, uh, I, I do think this is seen through that lens. Uh, it seems to be an unworkable plan, one that has a lot of holes in it from a policy perspective. How people would be selected and how they would qualify for a statewide program like this uh, really remains to be seen. But it certainly would play well politically with his base. Now, you know, Pete, I teach down the, the street at Chapman's Law School, and if this comes up, I'm going to tell him flat it's unconstitutional. It is a, an award of a benefit or the infliction of a penalty based upon race. It's unconstitutional. Does anyone bring that up? Well, not so much within the, the press corps of uh, the state of California. 
you're right to say that there are myriad constitutional issues having to do with this and how this would be funded and, again, who would qualify for this benefit. Uh, I, I see it really as utterly unworkable. But as with so many decisions that the governor makes, I think these days they're really being seen again through the lens of how would this play with uh, a progressive base around the country? I have to go back, and I always quote Chief Justice Roberts from, I guess it's 15 years ago, the Seattle School District case, where he said the way to end discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. He calls it a sordid business, and, and sordid is a tough word for the chief to use. I think it is so morally objectionable to award benefits on the basis of race or not race. I just can't believe Gavin Newsom gets away with that, Pete. Well, and again, there's a big gap between saying he's going to do something and, and the actual implementation. And you're absolutely right to say uh, that these awards based on race are uh, unsustainable from both a constitutional and I would argue from an implementation standpoint. But we need only look, even within the state of California, we've gradually been moving away uh, from a, in a policy standpoint, away from uh, race-based awards. Uh, recent even statewide initiatives have gone in that direction as well. I know you've recruited Victor Davis Hanson. I keep looking for the envelope offering me whatever you gave to Victor so that I can come out and live on campus at Pepperdine. Uh, you know, VDH is the world's greatest lecturer professor. What's he going to do for the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy? Well, you're right, Hugh. We're delighted to announce that he is going to serve as our inaugural Giles O'Malley Distinguished Visiting Professor, which means he's going to be teaching with us uh, each year uh, a, a variety of courses that are going to be open to him. Suffice it to say, his expertise in military history and, and applied history more broadly, which are important subjects at the Graduate Policy School, uh, he's going to be able to teach uh, the next generation of policymakers and political leaders. Well, he's been doing that at Stanford forever and before that at other universities, he, and he does it at Hillsdale occasionally. I'm amazed you got him. He has lectured with us before. His uh, daughter attended and graduated from our policy school. We've had an enduring relationship with Dr. Hansen, and so uh, to continue and build on that in this new endowed professorship is, is just wonderful. Coming up, President Biden signs the Respect for Marriage Act. Today, I signed the Respect for Marriage Act into law. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment, stay with us. And we want to thank our friends at Epic TV for sponsoring the show. Epic TV is a censorship-free video platform with original news programs like Crossroads, The Larry Elder Show, Facts Matter, American Thought Leaders, and documentaries investigating critical issues that are not covered anywhere else. Why do we trust the Epic Times? They're unbiased. They report important news that other media ignore. They focus on clear, fact-based journalism without spin or hidden agendas. They are truthful. They report just the facts and trust their discerning viewers. That's all of you, beautiful people, to arrive at your own conclusions. They're resilient. Despite the attacks from many sides, defamation from other media, thugs burning of their printing presses and assaulting their journalists, the Epic Times continue to dedicate themselves to reporting the truth. If you're looking for an unbiased, truthful, and resilient news source, check them out daily. We have a special offer for our listeners. Just sign up and start watching. No credit card required. No strings attached. 
If you decide to subscribe within 14 days, it's just $1 for two months. So go to watchepic.com slash townhall and subscribe. That's watchepoch.com slash townhall. Watch unbiased, truthful news and Epic TV on any device. There's a special offer for our viewers. Just sign up and start watching. No credit card required. No strings attached. If you decide to subscribe within 14 days, it's just $1 for two months. So go to watchepic.com slash townhall and subscribe. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's not often that you have the President, the Vice President, the House Speaker, and the Senate Majority Leader all present for a signing ceremony for new legislation. But they were all present, and they all spoke on the South Lawn of the White House on Tuesday. Of course, we heard from President Biden. Today, I signed the Respect for Marriage Act into law. Bruce Hooley saw a tale of two cities as he contrasted recent developments in my home state of Ohio with what we saw at the White House. From 98.9 FM, The Answer in Columbus. Yesterday, the two Americas could not have been more clearly defined than they were in Washington, D.C. and here in Columbus, Ohio. And I am glad that I live in the America where at least the majority of the people on the State Board of Education took a courageous stand for morality, for men being men, women being women, and that girls in school should not be subjected to the threat of psychological, social, or physical harm. The opposition to the expansion of Title IX to include those mentally ill, gender dysphoric kids who think that they are not the sex they were born, the objection comes from a society that would have had a high time celebrating with Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, Rob Portman, and other politicians at the White House where they held a raucous celebration as Joe Biden signed into law the perfectly named for Democrats Defense of Marriage Act. The Defense of Marriage Act does exactly what the Build Back Better and Inflation Reduction Act did, the opposite of what it is named. The Defense of Marriage Act ensconces into law same-sex marriage. And boy, oh boy, is it being hailed. Here's the USA Today headline. A blow against hate. Biden signs landmark bill protecting same-sex interracial marriage. Listen to the lead. President Joe Biden signed historic legislation Tuesday protecting same-sex marriages nationally, marking a major milestone in the fight for gay rights that follows a seismic change in the nation's attitudes. Well, it doesn't signal a seismic change in my attitude, and it never will. And that doesn't mean that I hate people who are LGBTQ. Rather, I feel sorrow for them living opposite of the way God intends for them to live and the way he made them. And that's not a hateful attitude. It is a compassionate attitude. So it's very depressing to me to think about anyone missing out on the free gift of God's grace, and the availability of eternal life to all. It is extremely sad to me. And yet people who persist in holding apart from God's authority 
any aspect of their life, whether it's sexually or in the way you conduct yourself in other fashions, risks that particular aspect of your life becoming your idol. And the very first commandment is, uh, shall have no other gods before me. Sexuality has become a god to the left. It has become the defining characteristic of the left. The celebration at the White House yesterday of this codifying into law same-sex marriage certainly shows that. And politicians have allowed themselves to exercise in this area something they would never be allowed to do in other areas. For instance, if a politician advocated for, signed, and celebrated a law that advantaged them financially, we would move heaven and earth to have them removed from office, would we not? Whether it's insider trading, whether it's fraud, it would not be allowed for a, an elected representative to advocate for a position that advantages their own personal situation. But when it comes to gay marriage, both Rob Portman and Chuck Schumer, Republican and Democratic senators, make very clear that the reason why they are proponents of the Respect for Marriage Act is because of LGBTQ children in their own family. Rob Portman is on the record as saying that is what changed his position on the issue. And his son came to him and said, Dad, I'm gay. And so Rob Portman said, well, then, I was obviously I've been wrong on protecting marriage as something between a man and a woman. I will therefore change my position because the situation in my own family has changed. Chuck Schumer yesterday said passing the Respect for Marriage Act wasn't just the right thing to do for America. It was personal to us, to our staff and our families, and it's certainly personal to me. The tie I am wearing reminds me what this moment is all about. It's the tie I wore on the day my daughter got married to a beautiful young lady. One of the happiest days of my life. Well, good for you. But your happiness will someday turn to sorrow when you realize the fallout of that decision. Coming up. We want to get rid of one of the most anti-women regime, one of the gender apartheid regime. Iranian activist Masih Alinejad. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Those of you who have been tracking the World Cup probably caught a bit of the emotion and the tension in the USA's match with Iran, where the USA won 1A, thus ending the Iranian World Cup bid. The Iranian team played under the specter of protest and unrest in their nation. As the mullahs seek to squash the protest that began after the death of Masha Amini in police custody over her non-compliance with laws mandating head covering for women. Iran is continuing to use public executions to try and quell the gathering storm on its streets. There are concerns that Iran is preparing to execute yet another protester, Amir Nasser Azadani. Mashi Alinejad is a bold activist based here in the U.S. looking for a better future for her home nation. 
She was the first guest on the new podcast, Timeless, with Julie Hartman. My understanding is that there was a good percentage of Iranian citizens who wanted to see a more traditional Persian culture return to Iran because they thought that the Shah, who was installed by Americans, had taken that away. And it was a bit of an affront to Iranian culture. So is that, is that a fair well, characterization? I, I think that the moment that Iran needed to have a reform, suddenly, by the help of many left outside Iran, many allies of the Ayatollah Khomeini outside Iran, they thought of uh, overthrowing the, the Shah's regime. Right. But now, when we need a revolution, right. the same people saying that we need, we need a reform. So for, for me and millions of uh, young generation in Iran, we believe that right now Iranian people have agency in, um, before as well. But this is the time that we want to have a secular democratic regime. And this is not, I mean, when you mentioned about Mahsa Amini, it's so sad that before the revolution, my mother ha was free to, to, to have her own hijab. My right. mother was not kicked out from everywhere just because of wearing a beautiful headscarf. No. But now my mother actually sees that her daughter is being second class citizen. So my mom was supporting the revolution. My mom and right. my parents were part of, you know, overthrowing the Shah's regime. And now they see that. What happened? Even the, 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 the relative of Khomeini, the relative of Khomeini, all of them supporting the revolution. Where are they? Right. They're here in America. They're in England. They are in the West and enjoying um, the Western freedom, not the Islamic revolution that they were supporting and still some of them are supporting in America as well. Right. Well, that, that's the point I was trying to highlight because it seems as though a lot of people were happy to get rid of the Shah. But then in 1979, when the Ayatollah came in and was just so brutal in his persecution of women, I, I imagine that a lot of people were like, wait a minute, this is, this is not what we signed up for. So you said that over the past 40 years, really w what's motivated the regime is that persecution of women. Why? Why are women so important to them? I have to actually say or that. Or not unimportant to them, no, no, clearly. No, it's, but it's true. But look, even um, when... Even even the uh, relative of the Ayatollahs, they are actually saying bless to the Shah because really? now the Mullahs are... I was actually the one interviewing uh, the spokesperson, Mehdi Karoubi, of parliament. And he was like, he said, What does it mean? You know, blessing to the Shah. And he was cursing the, 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 the supreme leader. So Why? I'm, I'm just a little confused. Because right now people are getting raped in prison, women are getting raped in prison, like teenagers are getting raped. They are not political prisoners. Mm. They are the ones that want to dance. They want to sing. They want to actually show their hair. The teenagers are like every teenagers around the world, no? So before, before the Islamic Revolution, there were political prisoners, I know that, so that's why many people were unhappy, but now, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 15-year-old students, schoolgirls are in prison. Mm. I mean, I remember that right after the Islamic Revolution on TV, watching the political prisoners doing false confession. But can you believe that now teenagers are in TV and doing false confessions and saying that I regret now when I said that I want to show my hair? No, I hate my hair. I want to cover my hair. 
Now teenagers, right after getting free from prison, they committed suicide. Many of them committed suicide. And this is a huge concern. And that's why even the relative of the mullahs saying that the sister of Ayatollah Khamenei said that, you know, ma, ma, cursed his brother and mm. saying that... They're I, even seeing that this is... They're even seeing that. Mm. And, and they even announced that many of the children of the Ayatollahs, many of the children of Friday prayers, they are in prison because they took to the streets and joining the people. So, but about women, for the Islamic Republic, for ISIS, for Taliban, my body, your body is a political platform to write their manifest, to write their, their ideology on our body. The only way when you go to Iran, you understand this is a country being controlled by Islamic states, it's through us. Because we are carrying one of the most visible symbol of uh, religious dictatorship, which is hijab. And mm -hmm. that's why right after the revolution, that was the first step that Khomeini started to control the whole society through women. Right. And that is why when we talk about the brutal death of Mahsa Amini and when women taking to the streets and burning their headscarf, we are not fighting against a small piece of cloth. Women are not just there in the streets facing guns and bullets and asking for, uh, you know, get rid of morality police or compulsory hijab laws. No, compulsory hijab is a symbol. We want to get rid of one of the most anti-women regime, one of the gender apartheid regime. Yes, I pulled out my notebook here because you raised such an important point that the hijab is sort of a symbol of this broader persecution that exists. And I have some laws here that exist in Iran that marital rape is legal. Women and men are segregated in public spaces. The age of criminal responsibility for girls is nine, but for boys it's 15. But right after the revolution, actually, they, they changed this age. And I, it's shocking. Women wow. are not allowed to sing solo. If you say that to anyone, like in, in here, young generation in America, they cannot even believe that. Yes. People in the West, they uh, pay money. They uh, go to cinema or they sit and they eat their popcorns and they watch The Handmaid's Tale series, the, which is you know, based on the book written by Margaret Atwood. So, but this fiction is our reality because women are getting raped at the age of seven in the name of marriage. Can you believe that? Women who occupied more than 60% of universities are not mature enough to make decision over their own body. That's not acceptable. Coming up. People are determined to end the Islamic Republic. It's a marathon. This is the beginning of the end. More with Mashia Linajad in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Georgine Rice. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, President Biden signs the Respect for Marriage Act. This law matters to every single American, no matter who you are or who you love. Albert Moeller provides analysis. He signed legislation that basically puts the federal government very much on the side of same-sex marriage. We'll look at the lessons learned from failed pro-life ballot measures. We're being outspent and outmaneuvered. Iran continues to crack down on protests. There are concerns that Iran is preparing to execute Amir Nasser Azadani, a 26-year-old professional soccer player. While the people of Iran continue to push back. They're fed up having to wear a head cover they don't believe in, being forced to follow a religion that they don't even adhere to. Be sure to join us at ChristianOutlook.com.
Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Those of you who have been tracking with Iran over the past two decades may well remember their Green Revolution in 2009. It was a moment of protest and unrest that showed promise, but they received very little support, either publicly or covertly, from the Obama administration. The mullahs were successful in shutting down those protests. What about the unrest in 2022? Let's return to Mashi Alinejad on Timeless with Julie Hartman. I know that Iran had protests back in 2009 that were pretty big, but it seems like today is a bit of a different moment. Would you agree with that assessment? Of course. Of so course. can you tell me why? This is the first time, first of all, that we see that women are in front line burning one of the most visible. I, sh- I certainly don't think so. <laughs> I always say that hijab, hijab is like the Berlin Wall for the mullahs. When we get successful to bring this wall down, believe me, the Islamic Republic won't exist. So this is a clear message of this uprising. This is the first time in our history that we see well-known athletes, well-known actress. They came out and they say that we are not going to be part of the propaganda tool. They're quitting their jobs. This is the first time in our history that we see sense of unity among Iranian oppositions outside Iran, inside Iran. And this is the massive protest, which is diverse. It's like from Kurdistan to Baluchistan, Arabs, Turks, men and women are united. And this is the longest protest in our history. So that makes it different. People are getting killed in the streets the day after, like instead of crying and mourning, people are there showing their anger and saying that, we're not going to give up our fight. We are here to end the Islamic Republic. We even see uh, the change of, like, the, the, the tone of the uh, democratic countries. Their language has changed. They're actually seeing that. They are ready, actually, to accept an Iran without the Islamic Republic. Uh, like, I had a meeting with President Macron. He actually recognized wow. it as a revolution. So that's why I think this time is different. People are determined to end the Islamic Republic. It's a marathon. This is the beginning of the end. Believe me, supporting your sisters in Iran and Afghanistan who are being beaten up, who are being kicked out from schools, doesn't make you Islamophobic. And as a woman who grew up under Sharia law, I have the right to be scared of Islamic ideology. I am scared of Islamic Republic. You have to be scared of Islamic dictatorship. If you really believe in women's rights, this is one of the historical revolution being led by Iranian women and women of Afghanistan. And you have to show a global sisterhood and solidarity. If not, then you are supporting our oppressors. That's it. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. You can catch the Timeless with Julie Hartman podcast on the Salem Podcast Network. Catch up on earlier episodes at our website, townhallreview.com. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Schubert and producers David Bouchon, Michael Cook, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.